What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, along with Dr. Peter Bolden and our esteemed guest, the Bloody Tooth Guy. Super excited. We're awesome, man. Just just a bit of housekeeping here. So should I call you Dr. Tooth Guy or Mr. Bloody, or can I just call you Bloody? Whatever you want. BTG, BTG on the scene. No, I like BTG. Can I call you the notorious um, BTG, though? A huge fan of uh, BIG, so it works for me. No so, doubt. Yeah. There it is. We right, had a there guy, you go. We had a guy on the podcast. There's actually a guy that works with me now, um, Dr. Northhook. And I'm like, what does Northhook stand for? He's like, well, it's actually like Norwegian. I'm like, hey, why don't you like become the implant Viking? So he literally took that name. He's on Instagram as the implant Viking now. He's got like thousands of followers. Wait, wait, wait. Are you really taking credit for that, by the way? Dude, that was my freaking thing. That was no, mine. no, that was me. No, it was not. Go back and check. Go, look, history will prove us correct. That was again on the uh, same podcast. Go hey, back. Pete, I don't know You're if you paid your Metro. P- I named him. I don't know if you paid your Metro PCS bill this month for the office Wi-Fi connection, but you're freaking like very staccato. Like there's a lot of <laughs> just check your connection. You talking to me? No, no, no. It's Pete. No, it's Pete. So anyway, we're really excited to have you here. A little bit of uh, background. I started um, noticing who you were. I went to uh, the DIA last year and um, there was a lot of buzz about you and meeting you. And I started following your Instagram channel and what do you got? Like 120,000 followers now on Instagram? No, just 103, something like well, that. Af- after this podcast though, bro, could be 120,000. Uh, look, I, I appreciate it and I hope, I hope so. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think that sounded good. It'd be like 103 and a half after this. Yeah, one. exactly. 104. I'll take um, So, you know, I watch what you're doing, obviously an oral surgeon um, doing amazing work, really careful surgical technique and precision. Um, and you've got a massive uh, influence in dentistry. So it's great to have you here. But I want to just get a little bit of background, like what prompted you to start posting on Instagram and putting those clinical photos together? You know, it actually started so randomly. Uh, it was about four and a half years ago now. I was sitting in my office and, uh, you know, kind of like on my personal Instagram, just noticing trends and looking at things. And Instagram was early at that time. I mean, there was really no major dental presence at the time. But I saw this Dr. Pimple Popper and I thought to myself, oh, yeah. you know what? She does an amazing job. People are interested. Maybe people would want to see bloody teeth. I mean, that literally was the thinking on it. I put up, if you look at my early, early stuff, it's just pictures of bloody teeth with absolutely no interest, no artistic value, nothing whatsoever, no educational value, nothing. And I got like a little bit of following, 300, 400, 500, 1,200, 10,000, 30,000 before you knew it. I mean, <laughs> evolution of Instagram changed. More and more dentists were on it. If you look at, you know, what's going on in the dental world of Instagram now, it's, you know, it's all over the place. It's tremendous for our special, for our uh, profession and each individual specialty, both as a networking opportunity and as well to kind of get the word out on what we all do. And I think it's great. That's awesome. And uh, are you working clinically? How, how many days a week are you actually doing clinical uh, practice um minimally four and a half still okay yeah. got it yeah so and, uh, i mean go ahead yeah, no I, um well no go go ahead I, um, I just i'd like you to go down that so four and a half days minimally but sometimes more yeah i mean never really more than five unless there are emergencies and things like that that i need to see my practice has has grown pretty substantially uh since i started it in 07 and so it gives me a little bit of an opportunity to step back a little bit from the clinical side of things. So whereas I would be six days a week for years, it's now about four and a half. I do a lot of the running of the business and of course try to manage the Instagram. So bandwidth becomes a problem, but overall, you know, I'm working. I'm actually doing the things that you see me doing all the time. That's awesome. And it seems like it's very, and one of the things I think to your credit, 
And the reason why the Instagram page is doing so well is you can just feel your passion for what you do. Like you can feel the level, the way you communicate with the patients and you know, you're, you're in it and it's authentic. And I think that's probably why, um, and your surgical results are pristine while you're really, really great at what you do. So it's, it's cool. It's cool that dentistry is, uh, has people like you to help us help guide. I imagine you get shit tons of DMS though. And like, yeah, what would you do here? What do you think of this x-ray? Like tell it, tell a specialty. I, I, I do. I get a bunch of, I mean, actually that's to me the, the, best part of it i mean the whole thing is great it's great for my ego my kids think i'm like some sort of pseudo celebrity (laughs) um, and so do their friends which works for me but the fact is is that you know people from across the world all over the world eastern europe middle east south america you know everywhere uh they come they talk to me they ask me questions clinically they ask me questions personally i've had a couple of um let's say opportunities things have been things have been really nice talking to other people for sure tell me a little bit more about the opportunities uh like people say come speak here or do this or yeah come speak here uh certain companies want me to 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 kind of represent what they do if you notice i don't i don't really do anything like that i don't not that i wouldn't it just would have to be so appropriate for me i mean i use very specific instruments very specific implant systems if those companies and i could speak about something like that maybe but but uh you know some random company that i never would use i literally would never ever even entertain the concept and and we're the same pete and i are the same by the way we take no money for the podcast no one sponsors this i mean we get offers all the time like hey you know can we just do a recording before we we actually go live and and we don't take any money we've had really significant players that we both use we just don't want to pollute the water so we feel the same way yeah i respect that tremendously yeah there's no there's no so given that your kids think you're a celebrity i love i love this i want to go back to this what happens when you finally reveal who you are do you think some of that acclaim like is is some of the mystery and some of the the popularity because you have this mystery behind you right like craig and i were talking earlier in the car about you on the way here and it was like he's the he's the satoshi nakamoto uh, so that's bitcoin no one knows who it is right and right right, wait wait you know what he could be satoshi nakamoto let me just ask you very directly because we're seeing video right now but no one will see video so i feel like i could get from your body language are you satoshi nakamoto yes or no <laughs> yeah he i knew yes. it i knew it i knew it i knew it <laughs> no the uh, and the other example we gave is that guy in it's south florida craig that you know the artist who never like always covers his face yeah. up alec monopoly or whatever like yeah, blowing up blowing up with his yeah. with his art right and he covers his face always even in public in pictures and everything so so BTG, if uh, aren't you worried about once you disclose who you are that no longer you'll be the apple of your children's eye? Well, you will always be the apple of your kids' eye. Always, you always. Not be that uh, celebrity, right? I, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah. If you look, if you look at my overall following and and the people who follow me, I think the majority of people who really get what I do think that the best thing to do is to remain anonymous, and um, and I get that. I see that. I don't think it would change anything. I mean, I still would be posting my surgical videos. I still would be posting my, the pictures that I post. It's not going to be about me and my lifestyle or anything like that. It's, it's, it's me with, instead of the blue background that I use randomly on my stories, it'll be me. Or instead of covering my face, it'll be me. I I don't know. I, I I don't think it's going to take much away. Maybe, but I guess time will tell. Well, why, did, why did you start it? Why did you start being anonymous? You you were concerned about like HIPAA, private pri- patient privacy. Yeah, I, honestly, initially it was picture. It, if you look back, at it, like I said, it was pictures of bloody teeth. There was really nothing, no surgery whatsoever, and I didn't really know. Honestly, I really didn't know ethically what was what it was all about. I I didn't really fully understand the HIPAA side of things. I mean, I understand HIPAA very well, but I didn't understand it as it related to this kind of stuff. Um, and I don't think anybody did at the time. I also don't think anybody was really doing it. So initially, uh, you know, we're thinking four years ago, I didn't know if the mother of the young lady who was coming in to see me for wisdom teeth would want a picture of her daughter's wisdom teeth on. Yeah, but how would they know? No one would know. You can't identify you. You as a dentist couldn't even identify your own extracted wisdom teeth. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But the fact is, is I just didn't know. I didn't know enough to know, and then I just kind of stayed that way. And then eventually, I mean, now I have patients 
literally every day asking me to video them or put them on or whatever it is. And, you know, I'll selectively let patients know to follow my account or whatever it is. They always will kind of sign something and then they kind of sign something. They always will sign something that allows for publication of records. So your patients know your BTG. Some of them do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. That's pretty cool. So the most important. So tell me about this little East Coast, West Coast. Go ahead, ahead, Greg. I just said the most important thing. Well, I I go to the. I'll ask him. I'll ask after. What's the East Coast, West Coast? Talk to me. You don't know the East Coast, West Coast competition. BTG does. He knows what I'm talking about. Tupac and Biggie. Is that what you're talking about? It's Tupac and Biggie. No, no. So it's not. It's not really BTG and Ben Johnson. Yeah, yeah. It's all love. And, uh, you know, I met, I met Ben through, obviously through Instagram a few years ago when it all started and we were doing similar things. If you look at his account and you look at mine in the early days, very similar pictures of bloody teeth and stuff like that. He's obviously not been anonymous and he goes and he's amazing, right? You know, his family, you know, his, who he is. He's a funny, witty, smart guy and a really good surgeon. And, um, you know, I love what he does. And, and it actually, if you look at the, the, the differences between our accounts and you look at successful accounts in general, you see that there is, like you said, Craig, authenticity. And you see that there is um, something special and different about that account. If you look at a lot of dental Instagram accounts, it's a lot of the same shit. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if we can curse on your, on your podcast, but it's a, a lot of the same stuff. If you look at a lot of the, if you look at a lot of the practice based uh, Instagram accounts, it's a lot of self-serving stuff, but with Ben, you're learning about him. You're learning about dentistry. You're understanding who he is, uh, oral surgery, of course. And with me, it's really more about the procedures. So it's very, very different types of accounts, all love all the time, but it's fun to play. What's his, uh, what's his Instagram? What's his IG? P-N-W-O-M-S. Oh, yeah, I know who this is. Yeah, 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 got it. So yeah. what, what? So Craig, Google, tell me. Uh, hashtag Google art. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Hashtag carpal art. Check it out. Carp- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching that stuff. So who started, Car- that, right? who started carpal art? Who started that? I don't want to start I mean, a fight here. I mean, this is going to be, this is. I weird. know, because I know what happened to Tupac and Biggie. I know what yeah, happened. Exactly. I don't want to get, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, so. I would just say, say just say don't should, hate the player, hate the game, and let's move you on. Should, right? You should check out look look at the first ever hashtag Carpual Art. See who started it. That's no, it. I just don't. But I don't want to get in the middle of a of an East Coast West Coast thing. I, I mean, I would say, we got Nipsey Hustle now. We got. I just I don't want to go there. Let's just. Leave I would it. say he he started the term without question. But I mean, I started the movement. Let's yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think we have to insert like a street saying right here. If you know one. You're younger than me. It's not don't hate the player, hate the game. It's something different. I don't know what it is. It's like live by the street, die by the street, something like that. We'll leave it alone. Yeah. So, so what is the what is the plan then? I mean, is there is there some future unveiling um celebration that we can look forward to where one day in the future or what are we thinking here? Yeah, so there was a lot of discussion about when I when I eclipsed 100,000 followers that I was going to show my face and all that. And actually, to be honest, I think I kind of was a little bit weak on that because I, I should have looked to produce it. Again, it's a bandwidth thing. I'm running my offices and, and, and practicing. And so sometimes the, the bloody tooth guy thing goes on the back burner. Um, yeah. yeah, I believe wholeheartedly there will be some sort of well-produced reveal if you will not to be a douche i mean that's not my nature but at the at the same time it'll it'll be it'll be fun <laughs> that's awesome yeah and uh, gonna, I, dia does not pop the cherry though right dia does not get to pop the cherry i don't know we'll see we'll see i'll be there i'm on the stage the main oh stage. then, then come on man those guys are like they live and die on instagram bro you'll be blown up in a second so i, I don't yeah. know the, the thing is is that i think that many of and this is no i mean dia is amazing huge huge fan of all those guys they do a great job and and they're fully leading the way in terms of instagram based especially social media uh dentistry if you will but a lot of the guys a lot of the people who follow them also follow me so i don't know you know like i i don't know how much maybe a miguel ortiz or something who's got a little incestuous is that what you're saying your following is a little incestuous I mean, not in a negative way, but you know, we all love each other. Podcasts, podcasts are the same way. If you ever noticed, like people, like it just like shared guest and like so, it's you know, it's a hey, dentistry is a small, tight knit group, and like it, it, it's bound to be that way. Some, you know, for sure. Um, sure. Also, another thing I want to talk to you about is like, what's the carpal challenge? 
the carpool challenge. Was there a carpool challenge? I don't know. I that was think, yeah. How fast you, oh, you can oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I like, a, that. like a gung slinger. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was definitely started by PNW or maybe someone else, but it was like he tagged me in it, and I just had to had to show him what it was all about. I could do it. I could do it faster than the one I posted, but you know, I just did it. Greg, you know what it is? How fast you can empty a empty a carpool and then reload it, right? Like literally, yeah. like a like a Western gunslinger. What I find fascinating is what I find fascinating is that, you know, I always talk, Pete and I have talked about this on prior, prior podcasts. I think dentists blur the lines of what type of um, content that should be putting on their Instagram and yours, there's a, obviously a dentist focused content, which is what yours is an industry focused content. And then there's like a patient focused content. Cause I, I see people mixing the two and unsuccessfully doing it where, you know, they're a veneer dentist or a cosmetic dentist and they're posting pictures of these beautiful preps and patients are like on their feed and like, what the fuck are you going to do that to my teeth? Like shave them down a little nubs, like cancel right. my deposit. Right. And, and I think that it's important to, to mention that I'm fairly certain that you have a practice patient focused social media presence as well, which we don't have to talk about now, but it, it's interesting to me that you'd find patients that would want to follow BTG because they got a deposit for the oral surgery and they see those teeth coming out and they get like, oh shit, you're doing that to me? Yeah, very few, but there are, I mean, there are some. I do not put any bloody content on my, on my personal or on my business Instagram account. I mean, I actually, one of my, my partner does from time to time, he does kind of a little bit more, um, let's call, call them comprehensive, like kind of bigger procedures, more maxillofacial. And sometimes those pictures will make their way onto the story for our, for our practice Instagram. I, I personally, I, as a, someone who is very focused on the patient experience and focused on what the patient receives and, and content branding and, and our message from a practice perspective, I, I don't love that. Um, but it's there and there are people who are interested. I mean, look at, again, just the doctor, Dr. Pimple Popper thing. I mean, think about this. She has millions and millions of followers who are interested in popping pimples and cystectomies yeah. and things. I mean, yeah, there's an earwax one too, that I'm freaking fascinated with. Let I don't know what the hell's you, wrong I, with me. The I, earwax I one the with the little, the autocam. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what, what's wrong in my brain, but I love that shit. That's I why. It. Yeah. I love it. There's a guy actually, that's, I guess that's why we're dentists. Yeah, there's a guy actually who I'm a friend of, and he he lives near me. His name is Doctor Booger, and he's a he does that earwax thing. He's an ENT. He's an awesome guy. Love the guy. He has no clue I'm bloody tooth guy. I know exactly who he is from <laughs> time awesome. to time. I like post stuff with him in it, but he's 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 great. Doctor Booger, check him out. That's awesome. So, what year did you graduate to, uh, oral surgery? What year did you leave the program? I uh, finished training in '03. Okay, got it. And dental school right before 99? 99. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got out in 98. So we're about the same age probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, just talk to me because I, I love, I love hearing this conversation from oral surgeons. We had Dr. Picos on not long ago and uh, you know, for me and with all due respect, I see a little bit of a, a disconnection of what the oral surgery training is and then what private practice is like. And I wonder, um, I know why oral surgery programs are the way they are. And I understand um, the, the vast and broad nature of the training, but I, I see a lot of oral surgeons coming out like lost as to what they're doing because in residency programs, depending on where you go, you're slaying dragons, you're doing facial trauma, you're doing big stuff and you kind of get that expectation. Like this is what my, I'm going to be doing as my scope. So talk to me about like what you feel like, what it was like coming out from oral surgery training, like what you thought it was going to be in the reality. And then if, if you see any trends in oral surgery and how they're being, um, how those trends are being expressed into the, the private sector. Yeah. You know, I actually love that question. Um, that, that's, that's a big thing. And it's very specific to the United States. So to, to put that in context, we're talking about like, I have a worldwide audience. I assume you guys do too. Um, in the United God, States. We have a guy living in Zimbabwe. He tagged us. He bought our, pay, our, our book. So I want to give a shout out to that guy. I'll find out his I name. Love, I, I love that. I love that. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. So in the United States, I mean, oral and maxillofacial surgery is one specialty. Of course, as you, everyone knows, you start out in dental school and then you either do a four-year or a six-year dual, dual degree program. All of our training is, is extensive. And I think that's what separates us from any other dental specialty. 
I personally, I mean, I'm going to kind of go back and forth on this question on the answer. I personally was always very interested in the oral surgery part of things. I loved larger procedures. I trained in a very trauma heavy program, inner city. I trained, I uh, did a lot of orthognathic surgery. I did, of course, a lot of teeth, a lot of general anesthesia training, uh, pathology, infections. I mean, the, the full gamut. Um, nowadays, they there are guys coming out who may be coming from, uh, let's say, superior academic institutions from where I came, and they end up with MDs from from great programs, from great schools, and they are a little bit confused sometimes. And I deal with that because I, you know, I interview a lot of people to work with me and for me in my practices, and a lot of guys have to understand that the vast majority of what oral maxillofacial surgeons are doing in the United States now uh, is dental alveolar surgery, right? And it's it's something that has to be understood. And I think it is understood by most people. And most people I'm speaking to understand that that's what they're doing. They might have some little subset of, of, a, of an interest, like they want to do more orthognathics or TMJ or whatever it is. And then those who want to go on to get better training can. There's a lot, there are a lot more fellowship opportunities now than there were when I came out. Um, microvascular surgery, aesthetic surgery, you know, head and neck, whatever it is, cancer. And, and these people go on and they actually, as long as they're in the right place and they are the right person, who they are as a human and in terms of their qualifications, they're doing that stuff. So yeah, you get guys who are definitely a little bit um, frustrated, let's say, but I think for the most part, I mean, for me, I'm living... I'm living for me, my perfect situation. I'm doing exactly what I anticipated I'd be doing and, um, and exactly what I want to be doing. I, I think there's this pressure though. So you get out of dental school and you go then into, you really cross over into the medical world. There's just always this conflict of like, oh, you're just a dentist. I mean, look at the movie, like The Hangover. Like, you're not a freaking doctor. Like, yeah. even my, ki my kids have said that to me before. Like, I was trying to right. give them medicine and mommy's like, my, my wife is like, hey, daddy's a doctor. And my, like, my six-year-old is like, he's not a doctor, he's a dentist. So, right. there's, right. so you cross over into the, med, into the oral surgery residency program and you're shoulder to shoulder with the trauma surgeons. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, because let's face it, when we go out and meet our friends, they're like, oh, you're a dentist? Like even you as an oral surgeon, like, oh, can I get my, you do teeth cleanings? I'm like, no, fuck, I don't do fucking teeth cleanings. Yeah, like, will you clean my teeth? Yeah, can you, can you clean my teeth? So there's this societal thing. And I think that it amplifies the pressure on the oral surgeon because now they go into this residency and it's like, you're at like, let's say you're Jackson or something like that. You're doing it with a facial trauma departments combined with the oral surgery department. You're literally putting faces back together. And you yeah. develop these massive gross motor skills where like people go through a car window and you put them all back together. And that's your training. And now all of a sudden you go into the private practice, you put an implant in and your general dentist says, dude, the freaking papilla's gone. And, and you're like, papilla? I, you know, what are you worried about a papilla for? You should have seen this guy at the hospital last week and his nose was by his ear and I freaking made him all better. Right. So, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you, even implicit in that question is, uh, is like a little bit of a bias. If you think about it, if you understand, first of all, everybody's an individual. There are plenty of general dentists out there who are placing tons and tons of implants and doing surgery and they're great. As long as they're well-trained and they're doing it well and they've got the right hand skills and they understand how to handle complications, God bless. If they are, then you have oral maxillofacial surgeons who can't even deliver and, and uh, block, like and they can't get a patient numb. So just because you are whatever you are, whatever little grouping that you're in, doesn't, doesn't really kind of, uh, explain your skill set, right? So I, I am, and this is not self-serving. You don't even, no one knows who I am. They can't even come to me. But the fact <laughs> is, I don't, I don't, I am very aware of soft tissue. My referring dentists expect a very high level of, so I mean, I do a ton of anterior. I implants. see it. I see it. You know? I know, I know yeah. your skills. I, I, no, I, no, no, that's not, that's not, I mean, I appreciate that. But again, I'm just trying to, just as an example, there are, in any specialty, there are plenty of periodontists who are, let's say, not great at what they do and plenty of oral surgeons who are not great at what they do and vice versa, right? So there's, there's definitely a kind of like a, an overall feeling that oral maxillofacial surgeons don't care or, or maybe see a bigger thing and therefore realize how little, it depends on what perspective you're looking at, right? Like, sure. who cares, you're right, who cares about a papilla? What does it really matter? What does it really matter? Why are you using a 6-0 suture when you could just use a, I mean, what's the difference? It doesn't make a difference, they're gums, they heal, right? 
but every human being is an individual. And because every human being is an individual, you could be trained, like where I was trained in a hardcore place, hardcore, tons and tons and tons of stuff. But I was always aware that what I was really training for was private practice oral surgery. So I took those opportunities to, to kind of hone those skills in addition. But did, did, you have a, did you have a mentor? Did you have a private practice mentor? That yes, was I did. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably, I think I'm, I'm hearing that. So there was somebody during your program like, hey, in the private world, if you do this, your dentist won't refer to you anymore. Someone was squeaking in your ear, in other words. Uh, yeah, but I think also just the knowledge of, uh, you know, like, let's say a higher EQ, if you will, right? I, I, yeah. You know, a lot of dent, a lot of oral surgeons are, they've always done well. They're type A people, meaning in academically done well. They're type A people. And through residency, they are like the top of the chain or whatever it is, right? So all the general alpha, practice. Alpha residents, male, alpha female, yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. So they think about, they, it like pumps up their ego. They feel so good about themselves. Oh, I'm big time, I'm big time. And then you get out and you realize that you're actually absolutely at the beck and call of these people that you were kind of thinking you were better than the whole thing. That's bullshit. That's Again, brilliant. my, point, my right point is, you know, everyone is an individual. So I was aware very early on that, that, you know, people had different skill sets, a general dentist who's highly focused on a six degrees of taper for their crown prep um, was, that wasn't kind of my mindset, but I respect that in a, in the same way that I respect the guys who, you know, do cleft lip and palate surgery. Everybody's got their, their really, really high level of focus. And there are shitty dentists. There are great dentists. There are shitty oral surgeons, great oral surgeons. And that's, 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 that's the world that we live in. Yeah. I, I see how you've pivoted your way through it with your, you know, the emotional intelligence and stuff like that. I, I, but I fear, I do fear that the oral surgery training has lost its way because not everybody's going to have that, that ability to pivot and, and define themselves post-residency. You go in, you, you're doing these big cases, you have the ego because you're at that high level of responsibility. And in some ways it feels, and I'm not an oral surgeon, and don't pretend to be, I don't even do oral surgery procedures, but it feels as though it's an act of resignation or looked upon as an act of resignation that I'm no longer going to do this massive scope. And I'm just going to do this. It's like, oh, well, okay. And then you're not being authentic because your training tells you to, you know, I think it's just really important that with that, that message be honed in, in the programs and Picos was talking about it as well. I think it's important that in our community that the message is honed. I also, I mean, look, I think there's, there's, kind of like a shift occurring in oral surgery now many Good. many 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 people are going are focusing on the oral surgery right and then there is a large subset of people who are going out and doing maxillofacial surgery which is the way it is all over the world right i mean if that's what you want to do that's what you should do personally i think anything that you do it doesn't matter what your level of training you should do it you should be well trained you should be able to handle any complication that comes your way and you should do it a lot and I mean, that's it. I don't do, if you, I mean, you look at my stuff, you see what I do every day. I'm not doing open joint TMJ surgery. I'm not the guy for that. Can I do it? Absolutely. Have I done it? Absolutely. I'm not the best person to do that. I'm the best person to do an exposure or wisdom teeth, or I believe dental implants, large cases, small cases, whatever it is. Yeah, but I see I'm that. not, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the, I'm certainly not the best open joint TMJ surgeon. And, and I, I think, Sorry, Peter, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking like, that's a great skill. And then you were talking about the business mentor, right? And like just having that self-awareness, I think is, is, is missing in, in profession, right? You've identified things you're good at, you're best at. And you're like, look, I'm gonna let someone else do this because I acknowledge that I'm not the best in this. I'm gonna stay in my lane. And it's, and it's, worked, your better, uh, it's worked to your betterment, right? Like you, you're obviously busy and you're a successful businessman. Whereas a lot of dentists will say, well, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to be a jack of all trades, right? And then it's the master of none. It's that mentality. And, and, and we think that if we give up something, then that means someone else wins and we lose versus like being like, I'm just going to do these three things because I do them better than anybody. Well, right? there's like also the, the... triple down on that as opposed to saying like, I, no, the joint surgery, that's mine. No, that's mine too. The cleft palate, those are mine, right? All these things. Like you can't have it all and be all. You have to identify. And I think that's a self-awareness thing. I think it's a valuable skill to just be you know, go ahead, Greg. No, it's the jackass effect. I was thinking as you're talking, so you're not busy because you, you're not good at connecting with patients. And now all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I should just start doing a wider and wider scope because I am not busy. If you're good at what you do, you can just do one or two or three or four things and be solidly booked. 
but people don't have the emotional awareness. So they're like, oh, you know, patients just don't value me or oh, patients these days, all I care about is money. I mean, you hear about that, right? When it's really, you got, you know, when they say that you, whenever there's a, a finger pointing away from you, there's three fingers pointing back at you. You have to look at what you've done to cause this problem. And I think the jackass effect in dentistry is that you widen your scope bigger and bigger and bigger because you suck and you're not getting patients enrolled. And then you start taking there's an opportunity large, here. Large. So I, I, that's I what I, I want to my advantage. Hold on. Cause this is a good, this is a good teaching method, right? So I hired for my inadequacies, right? I am not good at extractions. Don't ask me to do that. Right. So I have Dr. Curry has joined the team, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was. And right, I didn't enjoy doing Invisalign like you did. So I hired Invisalign, but I was really good at one thing and I stayed in that lane and I hired for everything that, that, and it allowed, it opened up bandwidth for everybody else. And now we actually have it, you know, well, everyone knows the story, but like, so I don't, I think it's okay to say, Hey, I suck at this, suck at that. I don't really want to do that, but I'm awesome at this. Right. And that's takes, an opportunity it, for, for it, it, growth it as opposed to inadequacy. Right. But so I, I would say, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. I've done the same thing. I mean, I have a, I have a surgeon who does microvascular free flaps. I, I have a surgeon who does ablative cancer surgery. I have a surgeon who does big orthognathic procedures, all of whom on paper are, you know, and, and in real life, you know, very, 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 very well, well skilled. Right. So I do what I do. They do what they do. But, but you also, or I also feel very fortunate to have been, successful early at what I was doing to be able to do that. I do see there are guys out there and it's not necessarily by any fault of their own. And you see them, they all take these courses on how to talk to patients and all this shit. I mean, the fact is, is that it's, this stuff is innate in you. You can learn how to become a little bit better at being a communicator, being a communicator. Sorry, there's a B, but, um, but uh, you can't really learn how to interact with people I I don't know if you can't learn. I I think people are better at it or worse at it. So success comes a lot from your ability to speak to other human beings as other human beings, right? And you have to know that. And if you're successful, you're fortunate in that way because all of of who you are as a person is very little to do with things that you have done, right? I mean, you're genetically who you are for the most part. And thankfully, you, you're successful. So you're successful. So you can hire and you can do this and you can pick and choose these guys who are kind of like, you know, having a tough time, just that life. They're trying to do everything that they do and they don't do anything really well. And that's kind of shitty for them and for their patients. But that's, that's life. That's the way it is. Yeah. And you know, it's funny though, you, you picked on something, your clinical acumen is not directly proportional to how successful you will be in business. And I think that's a narrative that is lost. Right. And so many, I know uh, everyone's talking about it. Right. But like, just like you said, there are certain behaviors that cannot be learned that are, you know, or, or they can, it just takes, it's just harder to do. And you should develop them the same way you develop, you know, you know, flapping techniques or, you know, veneer preps or whatever. Right. It's a skill that people need so that you can do more repetitions. Um, And and there's a lot of courses and I think it's easier to train someone how to do uh, a prep or an extraction than it is to communicate to a patient to convey value and trust. I mean, that's just really freaking tough. I've got some doctors that I'm working with that on, just getting them to communicate. And for for the communicator that's not a great communicator, they, they look at the process and I always remind people, you know, there's what you say and there's what a person hears. And your responsibility is what they hear, not what you say. You know, they, right. you, you own the result of your communication. So you can say exactly what you're supposed to say, but if it lands on the patient and they wind up getting pissed or not understanding, it's your fault. You have to pivot. Well, two points. To, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, two points in response to that. One, yes, with patients, but also with with uh, employees, right? So everything. Yeah. Your team, right? You you manage. If you're a good manager, you're managing to their who they are as a human being. You don't have a, a management style necessarily. I don't feel you should have a management style. Your management style should be very fluid and it should be uh, in response to who this individual human being is. And, and in so doing, you receive much, much better uh, results from dealing with the people. And on top of that, just as like another thing, you brought this up and it just kind of struck in my head. You, you know, I suck at golf. I've always, always sucked at golf. It's never been something that I've been, I didn't grow up in, in South Florida. I didn't play a lot. But when I started to play as like a little bit of an adult, I would take lessons and you'd like, you know, got to do this, put your hands like this, stand up straight, do this, whatever it is. And so you could break that golf swing into a zillion different parts and you could do every one of them right. But if it's not a fluid swing, years you suck so yeah, that's true so but or you can just be an athlete and know that it comes natural and you just 
go back, make the nice sw swing through, and your ball is going to go where it wants to go, and you understand depth and all this kind of stuff, and you're going to be a good golfer, and you play enough and whatever it is. So, yeah, to try to break things down into little pieces, like I, I'm often asked, what book should I read to, <laughs> to learn how to take out teeth or what to do what you do or whatever it is? There is not one book. I don't believe that. I don't think there is a book. I, I mean, there are sources that can explain to you luxation and this and that and when to use this out oh you know this and that honestly it's about doing it and understanding and the biofeedback and just uh, just doing it a uh, whatever ten thousand hours or however many times yeah, Malcolm Malcolm Gladwell Gladwell. Says you have to do it so i mean that kind of stuff off the cookbook yeah exactly it just do it a lot and also be understanding you know that, that's it that's it that's true. It's hard stuff though. I mean, a, a lot of the, I've talked to a lot of very large um, DSOs before and, you know, their hiring process is always really about personality and connect human connection. And then dentistry second. I mean, it's unfortunate that we all have friends and we know we have colleagues of our, that we know that are exceptional at what they do, but yet they don't resonate with patients. Patients don't resonate with them rather. And they don't get a chance to perform their craft. And we know people that are really bad at what they do clinically and exceptional communicators and they're busy as hell and they're chopping people up. So it's, yep. it's, it's unfortunate that, um, that patients in order to, to get them to, to experience our care, they have to like us and bond with us. And it's not just clinical skill and the default, by the way, for most medical professionals and dentists specifically is when challenged, just get more clinical education more and more and more clinical education and, and develop a wider and wider and wider scope. Because if you're not busy, you'll want to take on a typically want to take on more procedures. There are those that just like, are just masters of what they do. I, I pay raise one of them. He's taken, you know, $55,000 of CE in one year alone. So he's just got this massive scope, but he's kind of honed it into one specific area that he loves and he's right. getting good results. Finally, the Bulletproof Practice Book is out on Amazon. Craig and I have distilled down our experiences in dentistry over the past 20 years in our true-to-form, unfiltered fashion that y'all have come to expect from our podcast. We talk about our victories and our bruises, and it's 132 pages of vision, leadership, marketing, and even just life as a dentist, and it's meant to entertain you. So we hope you'll support us and grab a copy on Amazon today. Thanks, friends. I want to ask you because we don't. I don't get to talk to oral surgeons too much on the podcast, but and we do talk about DSOs and consolidation and such. I'd like to know your thoughts and feelings, being that you're a specialist who I'm, I'm guessing a lot of upflow work is predicated on downflow dentists or, or referring dentists, I should say, right? So question. as the consolidation pathway happens, I know you have your own practice or practices. Um, as the consolidation happens and more and more things stay internal to a DSO or, or private. Um, uh, private uh, equity practice, Corporate if you practice, will, yeah. right? Where things are staying under one roof. Does that scare you? Do you see that runway, or is that something you've ever thought about? Or yeah, so I, I do think that that's a that's an issue. I, I'm fortunate enough to, and I, I'm not um, I'm not blind to it, and I'm not naive about it. But I'm fortunate enough to be practicing in an area where that has not yet really, really been a, a large issue, right? So I practice in a yeah, a pretty affluent suburb. I have a number of offices, um, you know, right outside New York City. And, mm -hmm. and you know, my patients actually are, are, most of them are of the mind that they want to maintain the relationship with the small dentist. Now, a lot of the PE guys who are rolling up practices and DSOs are doing things where they're not even letting anyone know that they're related to one another. And, and that makes sense from their side of things, right? That the, the dentist that the patient has always been going to is now working under the auspices of this larger group, but, but they're, they're feeling, the patient is feeling anyway that they're still seeing their little small private practice. Go ahead. I'm sorry. From a marketing perspective, is your lion's share of your work going to, 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 um, from dentists versus, other dentists and getting referrals or are you going B to C right are you going so, right to so or no so or so it's multiple prongs right so the the majority of my of my spend on marketing is b2b based right it's it's really old school type of stuff just maintaining relationships which is 
everything in a specialist's world. Um, mm-hmm. When I was younger, when I started out, I was very, I started my practice from zero. Um, and when I started out, I was fortunate enough to have a couple of guys, an older endodontist and an older orthodontist who took to me, they, they took a liking to me and they championed me and they introduced me around my first office to, to literally any dentist at that time that I needed to know. And thankfully, those people took to me and I, and I built a practice very, very quickly based on existing relationships with these two highly respected specialists, right? So it's always been my focus, the B2B. And no matter if I did no other marketing, it's B2B. But I also do a lot of internal marketing with my patients. My patients are, are my biggest assets in terms of going back out there and telling them, I mean, Always. Say every patient, I would say the, the the vast majority of patients will say, I've told a thousand people about you. You're the best, da, 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 you know, whatever it is. And so I have that. And then in things like full arch implants and just brand notoriety, you know, brand awareness, if you will, there's a lot of uh, stuff out in the community, stuff I do in the individual communities, small stuff. And then you know, whether it's a, a sponsor, a highway or a, a board or, or whatever it is. So brand awareness, general B2C, and then most of it is B2B. And then that internal marketing piece is, is also a, a big thing for us. How, how many doctors in the, in the total combined practices? How many, how many surgeons total? Just, just five. Just five. And how many locations? Four. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, do, do you see though, uh, do you track, I know the spend, but do you track, are you tracking to see where the patients are coming from? And in the last 10 years, have you seen uh, a shift getting more consumers coming in unattached to dentists? Are you seeing more? Absolutely. Of absolutely. Which actually works for me. So yeah, well, then you can um, go back to the dentist that referred you and that's even a better, that's better than the fruitcake you give them. That, absolutely. So that's, that's, that's box of cash is. Right. Right. I mean, it, the, <laughs> Yeah, that stuff. Is- <laughs> you'll leave it. You'll leave, leave that one alone. Yeah. So I mean, the the fact is, is there are many, many more patients coming through because they're doing their homework. So part of my part part of my marketing spend um, is based on the fact that when a dentist or uh, so a dentist sends his or her patient to an oral surgeon, right? So many of them will say, go see this guy. He's the best. You got to go see this guy. But some of them will go say, see an oral surgeon. These are the two or three that I work with, and you know, see who takes your insurance or whatever it is. It depends on the type of practice. It depends on the specific relationship I have, the dentist, whatever. And so I want when the patient gets two cards or three cards or, or whatever, I want them to be able to turn to the assistant, to the hygienist, to the front desk. I'll be like, I got these oral surgeons. Who do I go to? I want those girls to be Jeez. or those people. And I want those people to be my ambassadors. And then I want them to go search on the internet and I want my practice to have the best reputation on the internet, whether my website looks good or I'm paying for AdWords or whatever it is. I just want, I want them to look at me and be like, Oh shit, this is a better practice. This is clearly a better feel for me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so all of that comes into play when it, when, when it, when I think about what I'm doing marketing wise, one thing I wanted to go back on in terms of trends. So I do think, and I have thought about, and I do, we actually have started to do it to some degree. There are a lot of, if I, so I'll tell you right now, if I was a general dentist, I'm going to say this, this is bad for my business, but whatever. If I were a general dentist, I would have every specialist in my office, period. There's no question about it. There's no <laughs> reason why. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you would ever refer a patient out of your office. It doesn't make any sense from a business perspective. As long as you have well-trained specialists, continuity of care, consistent, good treatment, there's no question. So take that away. Take that away. So well, I'm so shocked you, that you'd say that, by the way. It goes back to your meritocracy comment. It goes back to the meritocracy. As long as you can do it really, really well, right, to the standard of care that someone like it should stay. Sorry, continue. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if, so if I'm – look, when I started my practice, I was working in nine different offices. I would go here and there, half day here, one day a week here, whatever it would be. And that's what I was doing. I was hustling during the early years. And I was – Good, you know, like patients were see, were getting very good care. The downside was the follow up, right? So I wasn't there if there was ever an issue two days later. I mean, it, I, it would be difficult. To more liability and exactly. State, so it's, yeah. that's the downside for having specialists in a general office. But if you have a large enough practice where you can have 
the specialist there on a regular basis, that that takes that part of it away, right? The, the pro- so, can I tell you the, the downside of that though, BTG? Because I, I had a, I have a multi-specialty practice. There's right. some law that I, I can't find where it was written, but it was probably it was probably written 15, 20 years ago, and I can't find the journal that the law is written in. But it says it states it's like thou shalt. I know it starts with that, but it's also it says thou shalt pay a specialist double what. Uh, what thine GP gets paid. And that just doesn't work for the, the, the economy. I, I don't understand. Like, so, so why is a specialist paid at a higher percentage, even though the fees are higher, why do they get a higher percentage of what they do? It just makes well, sense. Do, I, I, so I think it actually does make sense. I okay, think, let's talk about I think a specialist should get more. No, well, they're going to get more because they get a higher fee. No, no, no. No, no, but forget the specialist. If a guy is going to bring something to the table that you're not going to be able to offer without him, then he should get a higher percentage of it. That's my perspective on well, it. Well, the, so, the economics of the business don't change, though. I mean, if you have a prosthodontist that doesn't cost less or more than a GP. and So uh, in, in pros, in pros maybe, but surgery, there is really very, other than the cost of the implant or bone grafting, there's really no additional cost, right? So if you have me in your office and you book me for a day and I do, I don't know, let's make up a random round number, $10,000 in production uh, in that in that day, that's ten thousand dollars that cost you very little, maybe a couple hundred bucks front desk time and whatever it is, and the assistant or whatever it is, and so all of that is added revenue for you that you would not have had because you don't have. I'm not. This is not you. This is. I know. I know. Speaking, right. And I so, do have a multi-specialty practice, and my specialists get paid at those levels, and I've been doing it right. for twenty-one years. So I'm just. But that's why. That's for me the justification, right? So if the if the oral surgeon's not there, or peri whoever's doing your surgery, if the oral surgeon's not there that surgery is not being done. You're sending it out. You're getting $0. If you don't have a general dentist that day, who's making 30%, 33%, 35%, whatever it is that you have no clue what those guys make. But those guys are uh, like, if that, if they're not there, then maybe you do it, or maybe the other guy does it or whatever so it is. You're saying so, that because your cost of goods sold is lower to provide because of pretty much no lab bill and stuff that that should then transfer then to the guy who provides it or no, 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 no. That's part. That's, that's a small part of it. I, I think, I think in, in a simple concept is for me, the reason why a specialist should receive more of a percentage is because you're not getting that work done without that specialist. Right. Got it. So, so that, that's it. They're providing something like we're bringing revenue that you would otherwise not have. If you, if you, but the same thing with the GP, by the way, you don't have four sets of hands. So it's the same. I, I hear you. That's, and totally I, fair. that's totally fair. Like that, that's, that's fair. And I, I just think that that, that, that pressure is affecting the ecosystem of the DSO and how things are working. I mean, I, I know of actually a very successful oral surgery group in my area that just sold to a DSO. It was, it was, it was very interesting. I've, I just kind of found it anecdotally looking around at something, but I, I just believe that the, the profitability. You know, multiple, you know what their multiple was? No, I called and he hasn't called me back yet. <laughs> so, yeah. but it's interesting because you know it's, it's an interesting move for this very large. It's a very very large DSO, one of the big big players, and right. it's a total oral surgery practice. Yeah, know, so I, I think it's I think it makes total sense, and I think it's actually the next. It's kind of the next chapter for the DS from the DSO model. You know, you gobble up all these general dentists, and then you why not hire a large oral surgery? Group yeah, hub and spoke model. Yeah, yeah hub, and, hub and spoke. That's exactly right. So, I mean, it, to me, it makes sense for the DSO. To me, it makes sense for the oral surgeons who maybe later on in their career and they want to. But I'm like the middle guy. What I've done to, to kind of grow and continue to look for my, I have a couple of limiting factors, namely oral surgeons. But they, I, I acquire guys toward the end of their career. And I've done the same. It's awesome. On, and you bring them on and they have a nice re- relationships. They have nice relationships, nice reputation. And then now you're in the community and you bring in a younger guy, you expand the scope to some degree, Smart. you increase the technology and the marketing and the businesses, they grow significantly very, very oh, Of course. And it's a great service to do for the exiting retiring doctor because he may think he has like three more years because he's like worn out by operations of the business. And all of a sudden you come in, put a whole bunch of wind beneath the sails and his wings rather, and you extend this guy's career from three years to 15 years because he just gets to show up one, two, or three days a week and have no operational responsibility. So I would actually, I would actually propose that the biggest benefactor to that is the exiting oral surgeon that's getting his ass kicked. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing with my dad. I mean, not, my dad said to me, like when 
I took over the practice in 2006. He's like, Craig, you know, when I'm 68, I can't handle this shit anymore. Why don't you just pay me like this ridiculously large percentage of what I do? Because I don't want to have you buy the practice. But if I work for three years and you're paying me, you know, 20, 30% more than I deserve, after two or three years, you know, you'll have basically bought the practice. Fast forward 15 more freaking years. I'm still paying my dad, <laughs> 78 years old, knock on wood, because I love him and he's happy. Yeah, yeah. But what I've done for my dad makes me so freaking proud because he's, he's eight, 78 years old. He's able to come in. We work with amazingly talented team. And we've got awesome technology and comb beam and milling machines and five different scanners. And he's doing shit that he would have never done at a 78 year old. These guys that are 78, 68, they still are good oral surgeons. They just don't want to double down on tech at this point. They can't recoup it. That's right. Yeah. The guys that I've, the guys that I've acquired have, have grown as their own people. And then the practices have, have grown and they, they're like totally re-energized. That's um, awesome. That's a good message for the doctors that are listening to us. We have a guy um, who's our buddy Dwight. So Dwight's talking about this guy. He's a really young, healthy dentist. He's like 68. He's a surfer. He's very physically fit. And he's just like, listen, I want to pull the plug. And I told Dwight, I'm like, dude, don't pull the plug completely. Like, see if this guy, if you can reinvigorate him. Because if you take away the operational responsibilities from him, he's got the bandwidth just to deliver patient care, you can extend this guy's career. So I told him, give him an earn up. Say, here's your buying price. Here's what we'll purchase you for. But if we actually do 30, 40% better over these next three years, here's an ability to share in that. And it lit the guy on fire. And that's a great thing. People, you know, transact something and then it's dead after that. Give people the ability to do better. It's, I think it's so, you know, if you can make it a win-win for everybody, it's cool. Absolutely. I have a couple, I know I'm, I'm, I'm monopolizing a lot of the time, Peter. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. Just a qu- couple of quick questions. Patient calls. I don't know what makes me think that, but I love the way you speak to your patients. Do you have a protocol in your office that you could share with other doctors that are listening about the post-operative call? Do you do it? Do you do it personally? When do you do it? How frequently do you do it? I call every single patient every single night. Um, I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I, every single patient I call every single. I mean, look, if I happen to have a dinner and it goes to like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and I miss the call, then I call the next morning. But the I vast, knew you to say that. Do you want to know how many people don't do that, BTG? Just so you know, the lowest hanging fruit in absolute all marketing, that, the one that yeah. zero dollars yeah. is, and people are like, hey, should I do AdWords? I'm like, are you calling your patients? Well, no. Like yeah. what? Dude, like, don't that's spend a dollar in advertising. Take your wife to Europe for like two weeks and just call every fucking patient. How hard is that? It's so easy. And it's easy for us too because what happens is that it's not the night of, by the way, and it's the next day. At nine o'clock at night, they're bleeding a little bit. They go on the internet. They call their friend who has a friend who's a retired dentist living in Boca Raton who's 93 saying, you probably have an embolism. They go on WebMD. They find out what a fucking embolism is. They check into the ER and you get a call at 1 a.m. at the ER. That's right. It, it, is, it is actually, it's definitely beneficial to me to call my patient. So I, I mean, anytime I call my patient, if there's a little bit of bleeding, I mean, patients leave my office anticipating they're going to be numb forever and they're going to be bleeding forever. And like, you know, they think that the worst case is going to occur. I mean, I shouldn't say when they leave my office, but their, their anticipation is that it's going to be a horrible thing. And then when I call them, they're always like, oh yeah, he's doing okay. He, took a Vicodin. He's in a little bit of discomfort or he took some Motrin. He's a little bit of discomfort. He's bleeding a little bit. And I just kind of put him at ease, of course, unless there's an issue, which thankfully there aren't many, but yeah, the phone call is, the phone call is, is like one on stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's like, typically they're two minute calls, right? And people yeah, and think they want like, to tell you what they're eating. How about if I have a nice piece of fish? Is that okay? Right. Okay. So like maybe like a piece of flounder. Is flounder okay? Or do you prefer <laughs> mahi mahi, doc? There are some phone calls that are a little bit longer than than I'd like, but you know, it is what it is. It's the price. I, it's the price you pay. That's right. And my last question, then I'm going to let Peter unleash his flurry of questions on you. PPO. You mentioned PPO. Do you take PPOs? I do. Yeah, I okay. do. I take. I personally take fewer PPOs. Um, I take, there's no DMOs and we don't participate with Medicare or even medical insurance, but aside from one of my offices, but, um, but I participate with a couple of PPOs, my associates and my partner participate with more. And you only have one partner. I only have one partner. Yeah. Uh, I got to shout out that guy in Zimbabwe though, by the way, who, um, bought, who tagged us, Peter and I, in um, Harare, Zimbabwe bought our book. His name is Dr. Anasu Muzvasi. He's, Anasu underscore the dentist. Anasu the dentist. So big ass. Anasu. 
A-N-E-S-U underscore the period dentist from Harare, Zimbabwe. Looking like he's doing good stuff, by the way. He's got nice results on his IG. So um, uh, thanks for tagging us. Shout out. Tagging us. Shout out. Boom. So that's another, I'm glad you brought that up, Instagram, Greg, because actually I, I do not have a flurry of questions, number one. And number two, you know you've made it in the ecosystem of dentistry when you have imposters trying to be you. So did you know that there's people trying to be the bloody tooth guy who aren't the bloody tooth guy? So uh, I'll answer that question like in, in a couple of different ways. Maybe like two or three years ago, one of my kids was on Snapchat and I was like, what is this? Not, not like an old guy, but what is this Snapchat? But like, show me Snapchat. Let me understand it. So I tried to go on Snapchat as bloody tooth guy and there was already a bloody tooth guy on Snapchat. <laughs> That's awesome. me. And so I had to become like the bloody tooth guy or whatever, oh. whatever it was. So I was starting to use Snapchat and instead it was good. Actually using them both um, complimentary grew both of them. It was, it was really actually very interesting. I've stopped using Snapchat completely because Instagram. So is everybody. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, so, so Snapchat, yes, there are guys on Instagram who, uh, who try to do things similar to me. And then there are guys who do like, you know, like similar names or whatever it is. I, uh, it is what it is. I mean, no, I just think, you know, look, it's, it's, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it should be flattering, right? Cause that's, that's the best form of, uh best form of flattery yeah. is someone trying to yeah. imitate you. I think you, you made it. And I think that's cool. I do see that like even there's tons of hashtags and I don't know if they're trying to garner your attention, but I see lots of cases have been hashtag bloody tooth guy, maybe right. not trying to be you, but maybe trying to garner your attention so that you will chime in. Right. And I think, right. you know, and that's, and that's the point of social media, right? It's a community so that we can all communicate get better. Right. That's the whole point of it. It's a, it's a you know, it's a cocktail conversation, if you will. That's the best point yeah. as being like humble bragging everywhere you go. It should be a little <laughs> bit more conversational. Right. I just really, I'm the king of humble brag, by the way. I just, yeah. I am so, but that's such a nasty trait to have, but I, yeah, I just, that's a side comment. I'm just thinking, I'm actually thinking out loud right now. I'm sorry, guys. No, you're just, you're just a top. Yeah, no, I did that too. I did that. No, no, listen to my story. It's way better. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. It's funny you said that because I have a better story for you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're not either one of those, buddy. Um, Dude, this has so. been awesome. I'm loving every minute of this. So we spoke, Pete and I spoke at the DIA last year, um, but I, I, I don't know if we're going this year or not. I think I, we... No, how would you not know if you're going or not? Yeah, well, I look to you for those like... Well, I'm going. You just weren't invited back. Oh, really? Yeah. Dude, that's terrible. I, what a no, way to I'm break kidding, the... Dude. Dude. Are, you, are you kidding? Okay. Because oh, I was invited to speak at the um, one of the most major conferences, and they said under one condition. I said what? They said don't curse and don't bring fucking Peter Bolden. Don't bring dead weight. Ball, <laughs> ball and chain. Do not bring your ball and chain, please. The, the, sorry, buddy. You were saying something about DIA. Yeah, I was saying I was in the room when you guys were talking. Oh no way! Uh, oh yeah, my god! Awesome. You still agree to go on this podcast? That's incredible. Yeah, that was great. It was. I, it was. I actually enjoyed DIA a lot. It was. It was. I spent like a week in LA. I had a great time. And, oh, it's the future. And I do, you know, I know Blake pretty well, Blake McClellan. He's been on the uh, podcast and he's one of the, the, the starters of it with Pay Ray. And I guess, um, anyway, um, but I, I told him, I was like, look, the energy that you guys had at conferences was invigorating. I think it's good for dentistry. And I think that kind of conference is, is the future of dentistry. Whereas Craig and I have sp spoken at some places and I can remember uh -huh. being on stage and there was a thousand, eleven hundred people and then go back five years later and speak and there's a hundred people. In the right. Audience, right because it's the antiquated old school way versus the new blood the, the you know the contemporary the social media the influencer like it's it's when the guys were all hip it, too like i felt hip, like right yeah, hip and cool. making dentistry cool again but yeah. you know i, I agree <laughs> yeah oh my god like, let's dude let's make a red hat making dentistry cool again <laughs> i mean the fact is is that it, it it's whether it's cool or not or it's in our mind because we're in our own little ecosystem and we think that it's more big time than it is the <laughs> confirmational bias Right. I mean, there are, there are sure. plenty of dentists out there who have crossed over into um, more awareness. I mean, even, even just look at the fact that what's her name, Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner, whatever it is, started that moon or invested in that moon or whatever it is. Whether you agree with the product or not, the fact that oral care and health care are now becoming related with the aesthetics and, and you got like an APA and Kevin Sands and guys like that who are who are focused on, you know, really good quality dentistry, but also brand building and, and, and their name and all that. I, I think it's, um, 
I, I think it's great. I think it's great. It for, I think it's great for everybody. Yeah, so. rising tide floats all ships. Apple is doing yeah. wonders for all of us. I mean, when I Absolutely. got out of school in 1998, I had to describe what a porcelain veneer was. I'm like, it's like a like a fingernail. Like it's put on and and and, and people just had by and large a really negative perception of dentistry and going. Wait, how did dentistry. we just go from Apple back to you? <laughs> um, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know, but I, I just think that it, you're talking. Oh, I no, was talking veneer. No, dude, I'm Let's go back to Appa. So no, he has transformed the yeah, industry. He has, for sure, he has. Awareness. He spent his own money, literally creating YouTube shows, and you know, and went big time with his brand. And I think it created that awareness. And like you said, it it, it raised a massive amount of awareness, just like Extreme Makeover did back in the day, and just like yeah, the Swan, Swan all that like so, it or not. It, it, it caused dentistry to boom, the elective, elective dentistry, right? And, and Craig says everything's elective other than an extraction dentistry. Um, it caused the industry to boom. And I think it's, it's great. And so I, th- I hate to see when people hate on guys like that because they're sticking their neck out and they think it's yeah. a self-serving, um, you know, they, th- they think it's self-serving for them. And I say, look, you know, you're going to get an ancillary benefit from, from that in, in your community. So don't hate, don't hate on the, um, the, on the guys that are, that are really trying to move the needle forward. Maybe this, maybe it is a selfish benefit, maybe, but you will get an, uh, you know, a reverberating benefit from that is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, that's another thing about life, right? The hater, that whole hater mentality leads, never leads to success. I mean, just positivity. I mean, I, I know like, you know, I'm, you know else but don't you see that it's like don't you see in dentistry though and i'm not hating on the profession because obviously i love it and it's brought great things to me but it's one thing where you know you hear dental a, a dental firing squad would be a circle or it's you hear this zero-sum game well if you do you did this procedure that means i can't do it like no we can both do it you know just because you live in a house doesn't mean that i can't have a house too kind of thing that's right and yeah. so you see the zero-sum game being i think a little pervasive in dentistry yeah, because- there's a little naval Ravikant for you right there what you're talking about we're like huge that. fans of Naval Ravikant. Have you, BTG, have you listened to him? No, I haven't. Oh, oh my God. God. He's a freaking uh, link to the podcast. It's literally going to be, it's Illuminati. Like, Dude, he is, he is genius. His name is wow. Naval, N A V A L, last name Ravikant, R A V I K A N T. The CEO of Angel List, just that, like, but okay. anyway, just hearing him kind of yeah, like talk, we'll like, it. it'll change your brain. You, why are you eight times smarter than me? Like, how did this happen? Oh, and how to come back to you again. No, I'm just kidding. I was, uh-huh. I was just trying to get my... Hey, no, touche. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, well, uh, that's it. That's all I got, brother. I don't have a flurry of questions like you alluded to, which gave me sweaty back because I was like, wait, I better come up with some good questions. I, did, I did that on purpose, bro. I did it on purpose. Um, At BTG, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, you, you, one, of the, one of the tenets of the podcast is that we, uh, we lean into each other pretty hard and, and we make fun of people. Um, I mean, not people. We make fun of each other, actually. Yes. Um, and uh, we have this. What do they call it, Craig? Uh, Banter. Like, I don't know. Kind of thing. I don't even know what anyway. the hell it's called. But anyway, it's wor- it's worse in public in person. I was at Peter's Lake House uh, a couple of weeks ago up in uh, Lake Notley in northern Georgia, and his bashing of me was nonstop. We were wakeboarding, and like I pulled skin off my hand, and that just started this nonstop reading seventy two hour teasing session of my. Nice, like, well, I just needed like, he, everything. It was my my hand. I was like, dude, it hurt. Like, like I, I was wakeboarding. I like Vagisil for you, but here, put this little Vagisil on your hand, but and right? I'll tell you what, <laughs> as an off label use, Vagisil is great for minor. Skin Skin irritation. It, I mean, it was Meanwhile, poor. I broke I broke my toe, and he's like, "Dude, what?" what? And Greg's like, "Go well, back to my hand. Look at this skin. Look at this skin right here." Oh, I love it. <laughs> Busting balls—that's really what you'd call it. That's great. I, that's the yeah. language of love for men, right? Exactly. Like, if I'm not busting your ball and you're my buddy, like we're probably not that close to friends. That's exactly like, right. Well, then, then, the you're a, then you and our best friends, bro. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. the language of love for men. I swear to you. And women are always get so perplexed by like, you're so hard on your friends. Like, no, right. I take a bullet for the guy. I love him. Well, you just busted on him. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, listen, Bloody Tooth Guy, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. We know you're busy. You're running around doing all sorts of stuff. It looks as though right now you look like you're pretty happy uh, in a sunny place. Uh, So There's no busyness right now. I'm relaxing. Yeah, that's awesome. But thanks for for, uh, pouring into the profession helping the, you know, our colleagues know what's possible and, and raising their clinical IQ and expectations to another level. And I think what you're doing is a real service and proud to have you here on the podcast. It's been great having you here. It's definitely been great. I hope it was uh, beneficial to you, to your guys, to people who listen, and I really appreciate it. And uh, 
looking forward to talking again. Hey, one last you, question. Uh, Sorry, one last one, question. Will you push this out to your audience if we can put it on Insta? If we don't do it, your Insta, since you have more followers than uh, than, than Craig does. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've just rounded out to 204 right today. I got another follower. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, and maybe, I, and maybe. Sorry, I'll let you answer that. No, no, I didn't hear the question. I'm sorry. I was thinking, like, I was just trying to. Literally, I was trying to leverage your your fan base in in terms of promoting our podcast. It was a shame. Yeah, 100. percent Let me know. I'm, I'm, this is, I mean, factually, just tell me when it's on. I want to promote it. I want it out there. So for sure. I mean, and then we should just have another conversation about about maybe staying anonymous. And maybe I know you're you have promised to reveal yourself, but I don't. Right? Yeah. I think I think go back to the maybe just a face mask when you do your lecture at DIA. Maybe just something that creates like. I want you to stay anonymous. And, I know. do too, man. Very much so. I really, I feel very strongly about this and I, I really want to say that. And listen, I, I, I'm looking at your face right now. You got a very nice looking face. I say that with an unblemished record of heterosexuality, but <laughs> I do, I do believe that um, I could see why other people like Alec Monopoly may want to cover their face. I just saw the, you know, no, but, he's handsome. Yeah. But, but I, I just think that I would like to see BTG remain anonymous. That's my vote. I'm sorry. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, just, I mean, I'll hey, take just throw, no, no answer. Just think about it. Right. Like, cause I in, like in life, you think about where's your upside and where's your downside and everything you do. And I see more, I don't know. I, I don't see the, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You could do the whole DIA thing, like almost like a wizard of Oz style with a back lit against the big sheet <laughs> and it's your silhouette. And then your silhouette will be massive because like you could stand far away from the sheets. So you have like a 10 foot silhouette and give the entire presentation and then go through the back door. I mean, dude, this is incredible. Yeah. Smoke you can't machine. Make this I'm up. thinking you smoke machine. Smoke machines like are cool, that. man. All right. Yeah. Just marinate on that. Marinate. All right. Definitely. All right. Well, good to talk to you. Best of luck, brother. You keep, keep on Thank doing you. what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in the profession and otherwise. And uh, man, I learned a lot today. So thanks for taking the time. No, you too. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. Take care. I mean, over and out. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text Bulletproof to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.